Amen. We're going to read a little bit of history here tonight. So if you follow along in your Bibles, uh, we'll begin in chapter 21. This is probably going to take 8 to 10 minutes, but um, you can follow along. Uh, Chapter 21, verse 1. Jehoshaphat slept with his fathers and was buried in his father's with his fathers in the city of David, and Joram, his son, reigned in his place. And he had brothers, the sons of Jehoshaphat, Azariah, Jehiel, Zechariah, Azariah, Michael, and Jephthah. All these were sons of Jehoshaphat, king of Israel. Their father gave them great gifts of silver and gold and valuable possessions together with fortified cities in Judah. But he gave the kingdom to Jehoram because he was the firstborn. And when Jehoram had ascended the throne of his father and was established, he killed all his brothers with the sword. (laughs) Nice guy. And also some of the princes of Israel. And Jehoram was 32 years old when he became king, and he reigned eight years in Jerusalem. And he walked in the way of the kings of Israel as the house of Ahab had done, For the daughter of Ahab was his wife, and he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. We're in uh, 2 Chronicles 21, verse 7. Yet the Lord was not willing to destroy the house of David because of the covenant that he had made with David, and since he had promised to give the lamp to him and his sons forever. In the days of Edom... In his days, Edom revolted from the rule of Judah and set up a king of their own. Then Jehoram passed over with his commanders and all his chariots, and he rose by night and struck the Edomites who had surrounded him with his chariot commanders. So Edom revolted from the rule of Judah to this day. At that time, Libna also revolted from his rule because he had forsaken the Lord, the God of his fathers. Verse 11, Moreover, he made the high places in the hill country of Judah and led the inhabitants of Jerusalem into whoredom and made Judah go astray. And a letter came to him from Elijah the prophet, saying, Thus says the Lord, the God of David, your father, because you have not walked in the ways of Jehoshaphat, your father, or in the ways of Asa, king of Judah, but have walked in the ways of the kings of Israel and have enticed Judah and the inhabitants of Israel into whoredom, as the house of Ahab led Israel into whoredom. And also you have killed your brothers of your father's house who were better than you. Behold, verse 14, the Lord will bring a great plague on your people, your children, your wives, and all your possessions. And you yourselves will have a severe sickness with the disease of your bowels until your bowels come out because of the disease day by day. That sounds miserable. And the Lord stirred up Jehoram, the Lord stirred up against Jehoram the anger of the Philistines and of the Arabians who were near the Ethiopians. And they came up against Judah and invaded it and carried away all the possessions they found that belonged to the king's house and also his sons and his wives, so that no son was left to him except Jehoahaz, his youngest son. And after all this, the Lord struck him in his bowels with an incurable disease. And in the course of time, at the end of two years, his bowels came out because of the disease, and he died in great agony. 
His people made no fire in his honor like the fires made for his fathers. He was 32 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned eight years in Jerusalem. And he departed with no one's regret. <laughs> Good riddance, pal. Uh, they buried him in the city of David, but not in the tomb of the kings. And then chapter 22 continues our history lesson for tonight. Verse 1, <clears throat> And the inhabitants of Jerusalem made Ahaziah his youngest son king in his place, for the band of men that, man that came with the Arabians to the camp had killed all the older sons. So Ahaziah, the son of Jehoram, king of Judah, reigned. Ahaziah was 22 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned one year in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Athaliah, the granddaughter of Omri. He also walked in the ways of the house of Ahab, for his mother was his counselor in doing wickedly. He did what was evil in sight of the Lord, as the house of Ahab had done. For after the death of his father, um, they were his counselors to his undoing. That's how important counsel is, right? Verse 5, he even followed their counsel and went with Jehoram, the son of Ahab, king of Israel, to make war against Hazael, king of Syria, at Ramoth-Gilead. And the Syrians wounded Joram, and he returned to be healed in Jezreel of the wounds that he had received at Ramna uh, when he fought against Hazael, king of Syria. And Ahaziah, the son of Jehoram, king of Judah, went down to see Joram, the son of Ahab, in Jezreel because he was wounded. But it was ordained by God that the downfall of Ahaziah should come about through his going to visit Joram. For when he came there, he went out with Jehoram to meet Jehu, the son of Nimshi, whom the Lord had anointed to destroy the house of Ahab. And when Jehu was executing judgment on the house of Ahab, he met the princes of Judah and the sons of Ahaziah's brothers who attended Ahaziah. Ahaziah, and he killed them. He searched for Ahaziah, and he was captured while hiding in Samaria. And he was brought to Jehu and put to death. They buried him, for they said, He is the grandson of Jehoshaphat, who sought the Lord with all his heart. And the house of Ahaziah had no one uh, able to rule the kingdom. Now when Athaliah, the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead. She arose, this is another nice, nice lady, and destroyed all the royal family of the house of Judah. But Je Jehoshabeth, the daughter of the king, took Joash, and this is the, the character we're going to study tonight, Joash, the son of Ahaziah, and sold him away from the king, uh, from among the king's sons who were about to be put to death. <clears throat> and she put him and his nurse in a bedroom. And Jehoshabeth, the, the daughter of, the, of King Jehoram, and the wife of Jehoiada the priest, because she was a sister of Ahaziah, hid him from Athaliah, so that she did not put him to death. So he was spared, his life was spared. Verse 12, and he remained with them six years, hidden in the house of God. 
So he's literally hanging out in the temple. And the, and the, uh, while Athaliah reigned over the land. And then we come to Chronicles 23. But in the seventh year, Jehoiada took courage, this high priest, and he entered into the covenant with the commanders of hundreds. And it lists them all there. And it says they went, verse 2, uh, they went about through Judah and gathered the Levites from all the cities of Judah and the heads of the fathers' houses of Israel. And they came to Jerusalem. And all the assembly made a covenant with the king in the house of God. And Jehoiada said to them, Behold the king's son, let him reign, as the Lord spoke concerning the sons of David. This is the thing that you shall do. Of you priests and Levites who come off duty on the Sabbath, one-third shall be gatekeepers, and one-third shall be at the king's house, and one-third shall be at the, the gate of the foundation. And all the people shall be in the courts of the house of the Lord. Let no one enter the house of the Lord except the priests and ministering Levites. They may enter, for they are holy. But all the people shall keep the charge of the Lord. Verse 7, the Levites shall surround the king, each with his weapons in his hand. And whoever enters the house shall be put to death. Be with the king when he comes in and when he goes out. So they had to protect him. And the Levites, verse 8, and all Judah did according to all Jehoiada the priest commanded. And they, brought each, and they each brought his men who were to go off duty on the Sabbath and those who were to come on duty on the Sabbath. For Jehoiada the priest did not dismiss the division. So they had 24-7 protection for this, this young boy who was the king. And Jehoiada the priest gave to the captains the spears and large and small shields that had been King David's which were in the house of the Lord. And he set all the people as a guard for the king, every man with his weapon in his hand, from the south side of the house to the north side of the house, around the altar and the house. Then they brought out the king's son and put the crown on him and gave him the testimony. And they proclaimed him king. And Jehoiada and his sons anointed him. And they said, Long live the king. When Athaliah heard the noise of the people running and praising the king, she went into the, houses, <coughs> the house of the Lord to the people. And when she looked, there was the king standing by his pillar at the entrance, and the captains and the trumpeters beside the king. And all the people of the land were rejoicing and blowing trumpets, and the singers with their musical instruments leading in celebration. And Athaliah tore her clothes, and she cried, Treason, treason. Verse 14. Then Jehoiada the priest brought out the captains who were set over the army, saying to them, Bring her out between the ranks, and anyone who follows her is to be put to death with the sword. For the priest said, Do not put her to death in the house of the Lord. So they laid hands on her, and she went into the entrance of the, of the horse gate of the king's house, and they put her to death there. And Jehoiada made a covenant between himself and all the people, and the king, that they should be the Lord's people. Verse 17, Then all the people went to the house of Baal and tore it down. His altars and his images, they broke in pieces. And they killed Matan the, the priest of Baal before the altars. And Jehoiada posted watchmen for the house of the Lord under the direction of the Levitical priesthood the priests and the Levites, whom David had organized to be in charge of the house of the Lord, to offer burnt offerings to the Lord, as it is written in the law of Moses, with rejoicing and singing according to 
the order of David. Verse 19, he stationed the gatekeepers at the gates of the house of the Lord so that no one sh should enter who was in any way unclean. Then he took the captains and the nobles and the governors of the people and all the peoples of the land, and they brought the king down from the house of the Lord, marching through the upper gate to the king's house. <clears throat> and they set the king on the royal throne. So all the people of the land rejoiced, and the city was quiet after Athaliah had been put to death with the sword. <clears throat> and then we come to our character tonight, Joash. It says, Joash was seven years old, 24-1. Joash was seven years old when he began to reign. I mean, can you imagine? Seven years old and you're a king. And he reigned 40 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Zabiah of Beersheba. And Joash did what was right in the eyes of the Lord all the days of Jehoiada the priest. And Jehoiada got for him two wives, and he had sons and daughters. After this, Joash decided to restore the house of the Lord. And he gathered the priests and the Levites and said to them, Go out into the cities of Judah and gather from them, uh, from, from Israel, money to repair the house of the Lord, your God, from year to year, and see that you act quickly. But the Levites did not act quickly. I guess it was hard to get good help back then as well. Verse 6, so the king summoned Jehoiada the chief and said to him, Why have you not required the Levites to bring in from Judah and Jerusalem the tax levied by Moses, the servant of the Lord, and the congregation of Israel for the tent of testimony? For the sons of Athaliah, that wicked woman, had broken into the house of God and, also, and had also used all the dedicated things of the house of the Lord for the Baal. So they were all corrupt. They couldn't necessarily be used again. So the king commanded that they made a chest, a, a chest and set it outside the gate of the house. And proclamation was made throughout Judah and Jerusalem to bring in for the Lord the tax <clears throat> that Moses, the servant, the servant of, the, of God, laid on Israel in the wilderness. Verse 10, And all the princes and all the people rejoiced and brought their tax and dropped it into the chest until they had all finished. And whenever the chest was brought to the king's officers by the Levites, when they saw that there was much money in it, the king's secretary and the officer of the chief priest would come and empty the chest and take it and return it to his place. Thus they did day after day and collected money in abundance. Maybe we should try that. Offerings every day. No, <laughs> just <laughs> that might work. Um, and then it says there, uh, they did it day after day. Verse 12, And the king and Jehoiada gave it to those who had, uh, who had charge of the work of the house of the Lord, and they hired masons and carpenters to restore the house of the Lord, and also workers in iron and bronze to repair the house of the Lord. So those who were engaged in the work labored, and the repairing went forward in their hands, and they restored the house of God to its proper condition and strengthened it. Then when they had finished... They brought the rest of the money before the king in Jehoiada, and with it uh, were made utensils for the house of the Lord, both for the service and for the burnt offerings, and dishes for incense and vessels of gold and silver. They were offered burnt offerings, and they offered burnt offerings in the house of the Lord regularly all the days of Jehoiada. But Jehoiada grew old and full of days and died. He was 130 years old at his death. That was old even back then. 
and they buried him in the city of David among the kings. So he's very much respected because he had done good in Israel and toward God in his house. Now after the death of Jehoiada, the princes of Judah came and paid homage to the king. Then the king, this was his first mistake, listened to them, and they abandoned the house of the Lord, the God of their fathers, and served the Asherim and their idols. And wrath came upon Judah and Jerusalem for the guilt of theirs. Yet he sent prophets among them to bring them back to the Lord. These testified against them, but they would not pay attention. Verse 20, Then the Spirit of God clothed Zechariah, the son of Jehoiada, the priest, and he stood above the, uh, uh, stood above the people and said to them, Thus says God, Why do you break the commandments of the Lord so that you cannot prosper? Because you have forsaken the Lord, he has forsaken you. But they conspired against him. And by the command of the king, they stoned him with stones in the court of the house of the Lord. Thus, Joash, the king, did not remember the kindness that Jehoiada, Zechariah's father, had shown him, but killed his son. And when he was dying, he said, May the Lord see and avenge. Verse 23. At the end of the year, the army of the Syrians came up against Joash. They came to Judah and Jerusalem and destroyed all the, the princes of the people from among the people and sent all their spoil to the king of Damascus. Though the army of the, the Syrians had come with few men, the Lord delivered them in to the into their hand a very great army because Judah had forsaken the Lord, the God of their fathers. Thus they executed judgment on Joash. When they had departed from leaving from him, leaving him severely wounded, his servants con- conspired against him because the blood of the son of Jehoiada the priest and killed him on his bed. So he died and they buried him in the city of David, but they did not bury him in the tombs of the kings. Those who had conspired against him were uh, Zabad, the son of Shimeath the Ammonite, and Jehozabad, the son of Shimrith the Moabite. Accounts of his sons and of the many oracles against him and of the rebuilding of the house of the Lord are written in the story of the book of the kings. And Amaziah, his son, reigned in his place. I know that was a long reading, but I just thought it'd be better to read it than try to summarize it because it, it, it kind of uh, was, was a lot. But I think it's sad when we, when we see uh, people who start off well and they end bad. And I title this, A Good Boy Gone Bad. And that's exactly what we have. Um, Whittier, who's a poet, he wrote this. For all the sad words of tongue or pen, the saddest are these. It might have been. And you stop and think about it. I mean, this, this young boy had everything going for him, did he not? And there's always something sad when we see a person with great potential who start off very strong, but everything falls apart. It just all falls apart on him. And we've seen that in the sports world when... Young athletes um, just are, are blown away by millions and millions and millions of dollars. 
And because of getting mixed up in the wrong crowd, whatever, you see them just, boy, go off the cliff. Um, but I think it's most sad when you see it happen spiritually to somebody. When you know someone personally, maybe a young man or a young woman who maybe you, you brought to Christ at one point, so you thought, and made it, they made a profession of faith, and they were excited, and they began to read the Bible, and, and then you run into them years later, and they don't have anything to do with Christ. As a matter of fact, they're living totally in the world. It's, it's, it's really sad. But something happens. Uh, something gets them tripped up in their, in their um, profession of faith in Christ. And they fall by the wayside. And I think if you've been a Christian for any time, you've seen that happen in people's lives over and over and over. And it's always a sad commentary. And it's sometimes kind of puzzling. You wonder why that happens. Could it have been prevented? Um, you might ask the question, could that happen to me? Uh, you know, uh, sometimes when I try to find college buddies from, from Bible college, I'm, I'm appalled at either some of them are dead, but most of them are, you know, either not in ministry at all anymore, and that's why they went to school, or um, they're just not even living for the Lord at all. They're off in some aberrant lifestyle, whatever, it's really sad. And, um, you know, how does that kind of stuff happen? How can you, how can we avoid that kind of thing happening to us? Well, I think this story tonight that we're going to read, that we've read about King Joash, gives us some answers. And you can look there in your outline. And this guy was a, a young boy with great potential. And obviously, his, can, his, his life was under the providential care, the providential hand of God. Would you not agree? I mean, from a very early age, everybody else was getting wiped out, and he was spared, right? At the age of one, he had been rescued from death when his wicked grandmother, Athaliah, killed all his brothers. And he was raised secretly, where? In the temple, in the house of God, um, by his godly uncle, Jehoiada, who was the, the, the priest, and his aunt. And, you know, you, you think of people like John Wesley, who as a child narrowly escaped from a burning house. I mean, think about that. If, if Think of the hymns we wouldn't have had. You know, I mean, things like that. that if this person wouldn't have survived that. Uh, Joash was this, this brand plucked from the fire. And at seven, he was anointed king. And that, that wicked... Athaliah was executed, and Joash had the, 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 the opportunity of a lifetime before him to serve the Lord, to lead his people. And frankly, by what we read, he started out pretty good, wouldn't you say, for a young boy? He restored the temple. He did all the right things. He began by, by, by fixing up the temple, which had been desecrated and run amok, and... Uh, <clears throat> He even reproved the priests and, and got things back in order that way. And things went well as long as it seemed like his support system was his, his uncle Jehoiada, the priest. Because as soon as Jehoiada was gone, what happened to uh, this young boy? He went off the rails. After Jehoiada died, the leaders of Judah tempted Joash 
They came and they wanted time in front of him. He should have said, no, I don't have time for you. You're not, you're not people that I would listen to. Um, but he didn't. He actually listened to these. Maybe he was intimidated. We don't know why. <clears throat> and it, it led to them abandoning the house of the Lord. Think about it, how radical a di- change that is. I mean, here he took all this time to fix up this, this place, the house of the Lord, and now they just walk away from it. It tells us there in verse 18. And, and he even resisted, it tells us, the attempts of these godly prophets who would come to him and say, hey, you know what, you better change your ways. Don't, don't do this. Finally, he ends up murdering um, the, the son, or perhaps the grandson, some believe, of Jehoiada, his own cousin, who confronted him about this, telling him, Zachariah, that you shouldn't do this. Um, and they, they did the dirty deed, I don't know if you noticed this detail, right in the temple area. I mean, I don't know if you remember before when, when they, they killed Athaliah, what did he do? He took, him out, took her outside, remember? Because it wasn't right to do that. It would desecrate the town. He didn't care. Something happened to Joash. Um, and then there was a small Syrian army by, by army, uh, you know, uh, levels. It was small. They came up against, and basically, in order to bribe them, uh, Joash stripped the temple of all its treasures. He took everything out, and he said, here, just take this, just leave us alone. Now, he had just labored to restore all this stuff. Uh, and he sent them as a tribute to the king of Syria. Well, that held them off for about a year. <laughs> and then they realized, hey, if they have this much stuff, let's go get the rest. They gave, this, gave us this, right? You never want to appease your enemy. This is something sometimes our government doesn't understand. Um, you know, if you just appease the other side, well, they'll like us. No. And it held them off for about a year, but then they returned and they killed the officials of Judah. They took more spoil and they left Joash himself wounded, it says. And two of his own uh, uh, servants basically realized this guy had gone so far off the, the rails that, you know what, it's time to take him out. And so they murdered him in his own bed. He was dead at 47. He was not given the honor of being buried among the kings of Jerusalem. He was definitely a boy who had gone bad. And so, you know, what can we learn from this? Well, I think the one thing there in your outline I wrote, spiritual privilege requires spiritual reality or else there will be spiritual consequences. Spiritual privilege requires spiritual reality or else there will be spiritual consequences. You could say too much is given, what? Much is required, right? I mean, the same thing. But it's a spiritual formula here. If people who had been given spirit, uh, spiritual privilege, if they don't walk in the reality of the Lord day by day, they and even those close to them in their families, extended family, because sin always affects others. You never sin as an island. It will reap severe consequences. And that's what we see here. Now, the first point here in the outline was Joash was blessed with spiritual privilege. And guess what? So are we. So are we. 
as Joash grew into manhood, I mean, he had to look at his own life and be impressed with the fact that God's hand was on his life in a very unique way. Uh, while all of his other brothers were slaughtered, it tells us that he alone was spared. He was only a year old at the time, so he had nothing to do with that at the time. And I'm sure as he grew older, and he looked back and he thought, wow, God spared me for a reason. And why was he saved by his, his godly aunt and uncle? Um, they had raised him in the ways of the Lord. Why did God allow that? Um, his aunt was the daughter of the wicked king Jehoram. And that guy slaughtered his, 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 his own brothers. So she was a sister of the wicked Ahaziah who was slain. She could have easily been very self-serving as her wicked mother, Athaliah, was. But, I mean, even in Joash's his uncle, if you think about that, he could have easily decided to enjoy his position of power and say, hey, keep this kid out of it. And I kind of like, like all the attention I'm getting right now. He could have refused to yield power. Or he could have poisoned the boy or killed him or something. But none of this happened. And, and it was all because God's providential hand was on Joash in a remarkable way. He was blessed with a great spiritual privilege. And I, and I would say that so are we as, as believers that live in a, a free country that we can worship our God in freedom. Or maybe you were raised in a Christian home. What, a, what an incredible spiritual privilege that is. I mean, I was raised in a Christian home. They weren't, quote, Christians, I would say, necessarily. I don't know. Maybe they were. But my dad was a Methodist. My mom was a Roman Catholic. So we were all grew up in the, under the, the Christian influence of the Roman Catholic Church, which theologically we understand is all wrong. But you know what? That understanding of God and, and that there is Scripture and that it is true and, and the morality that I just kind of learned through the church uh, through some fear, maybe, <laughs> and just a little, little bit of respect for God, that really protected me morally as I was going through my, my teenage years. Um, and I, I, I understand now, I look back, I'm like, wow, that's, that's spiritual privilege. Even though it wasn't, quote, a Bible Christian home, it was kind of a mixed bag, and I'm not saying everybody in my family was Christians at the time or anything. Um, but the foundation of... of having that Christian foundation was a spiritual privilege. Um, some may be here today thinking, well, I didn't grow up in a Christian home like that. I grew up in a pagan home, and, and my parents abused me, and, and um, before I even knew it, they ended up getting divorced and never felt loved or accepted, and I never received any spiritual training or encouragement as a child. It's easy for you to say if you were raised in a Christian home, but not me. But you know what? In a weird way, you too are spiritually privileged because you're here tonight and you're sitting here listening to a message from God's Word. And no soldiers are coming in, breaking down the door, arresting us. All right? So we are, we are all spiritually privileged. Um, I mean, praise the Lord, we don't live in a country like Tibet. 
who, who uh, the country I think has less than 0.01 or 0.02 percent Christian. No churches. It's almost 100 percent Buddhist with some Muslims mixed in there. I mean, praise God you were born and you were raised and you came to a country where you're still free to, to worship God and where there are still some churches that preach and teach the Bible, teach the gospel. Um, you can go home tonight and open up your, your Bible that you probably have, or one of your Bibles, I should say, that you have, depending on what translation you want to read, and, and read it before you go to bed. Or if you don't have a Bible, you could take your phone and download a Bible. And if you're too lazy to read it, you can actually put play, and it'll it, it play, play it all night long in your ear as you sleep, the Word of God, okay? So we live in such a privileged society today. You can turn on the radio, you can turn on the television program and listen to program after program, some good, some bad, but, you know, they're teaching some form of Scripture. And so we, we live in a culture, though, that's encouraging us to blame our, our upbringing or our parents. I wasn't raised that way, so therefore I'm just going to be this way for our being imperfect as believers. Uh, I mean, granted, some parents are more perfect than others, right? Some parents do a better job than others. Joash certainly had an imperfect family, including his dear grandmother who killed all his brothers. I mean, he didn't have, you know, the greatest upbringing, I would say, um, in, in that as far as from the stock he came from. He, she would have killed him if, if she would have got his hands on him, her, her hands on him. So, you know, if you focus on blaming your upbringing or your parents or your past, what are you doing? I really believe you're, you're blaming the sovereign God who allowed all that stuff to happen. And not submitting to his providence. And when you do that, what happens? There's a root of bitterness and really ingratitude uh, that raises up in your own heart. And it will just defile you. And it will affect those around you. And it will rob you of how God wants to bless and use you going forward. And so rather than if you had a rough upbringing, whatever, rather than focus on that, Focus on your spiritual privilege. Focus on the fact you're here today. You're in a Bible-believing church. You're growing in the Lord. Um, you know, focus on that. Don't allow that other thing to take you down that road. So spiritual privilege, Joash was, and so are we. Secondly, Joash demonstrated early in his life a spiritual zeal. <laughs> a spiritual zeal. I, mean, I think he was seven, right, when he became king. And what did he do, man? He, he wanted to get that temple back in order. He directed the priest to restore the temple. We don't know how things dragged on, but in his 23rd year, things weren't moving quickly, so he even confronted Jehoiada, who was about 120 at that time, which probably explains why things were slowing down a little bit. But he said, hey, I don't want this project to die. We've got to keep this going. And then he got the job done so that worship was restored. And so Joas, this young leader was zealous he was he was excited about the things of god and you know what so should we be so should we be 
Some of you who are younger, now's the time that you've got the ideals, you've got the energy, you've got the, 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 the wherewithal to pour yourself into serving the Lord. And that's what you should do. That should take priority. I mean, it's a great thing to see young people who are excited about the Lord, who have a zeal in their heart to see people in their workplace or their school or whatever come to know Christ. They're willing to go out and, and be bold for Christ. But with that zeal that young people have comes a inherent danger. <laughs> because it's possible to get swept up with enthusiasm to do great things for God. But in the process, what happens? You, you fail to build a foundation for a lifetime of ministry. This happens a lot with people. They come to know Christ when they're younger. They get all excited. They're plugged in. And then, boy, they, they just kind of like burn out. I don't mean physically. I just mean spiritually. It's really easier to build the temple, think about this, than it is to carry on a daily walk and a personal reality with God himself. It's easier to build some big edifice and say, wow, look at what we did. That's what Joash did, right? He restored the temple, and everybody's looking at the temple going, man, we got a great king. Look at what he did. But you know what? God sees what other people don't. God looked at Joash and said, yeah, the temple looks great. That Joash, boy, he's quite a king. The people were saying, he must really love God. Look at how he's serving God. But that's all outward. <laughs> that's what we see as humans. But what does God see? God sees what people don't see. God sees whether you spend time with him each day. God sees whether or not you're dealing with your sinful thoughts when they pop into your head. God sees whether you seek and, and you are desiring to submit to God in the trials of life. Only God can see that. And see, if we're not growing in a personal holiness and devotion for God, then all of your zeal for serving God in your youth is just a hollow shell. And it will crumble under temptation one day. Because you're just looking at the outside. One commentary said this, the Christian life is not a chicken coop. It's a skyscraper. I mean, if you're throwing up a chicken coop, you can do that in a half hour, right? Get some wire, you get some two-by-fours, nail some stuff together. It doesn't matter what it looks like. It doesn't matter just as long as it holds the chickens in, right? But if you're, if you're building a skyscraper, guess what? You need a solid foundation. You, you have to dig down deep to lay that foundation. You look at some of the construction that's going on in Redwood City. It always starts with what? A big hole in the ground. It's like, what in the world are they doing? You know, they go down like four stories, and then they go up eight. Well, if they didn't do that, it wouldn't be a stable foundation. See, it's like that seed sown upon rocky, shallow soil in Jesus' parable in Luke 8. It's possible to spring up quickly, but if you lack sufficient roots, what happens in a time of temptation? You fall away. It tells us in Luke chapter 8, verse 13, And the ones on the rock are those who, 
when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while. In the time of testing, they fall away. See, we don't want to fall away when we're faced with temptation. This is what happened with Joash. Um, He had all the zeal, and it's okay to have the zeal, but you have to understand, with that zeal comes the danger of wanting to move too fast, too quick, and not building a good foundation. Third thing, Joash faced spiritual testing. He faced spiritual testing. It says there in verse 2, Joash did what was right in the sight of the Lord all the days of Jehoiada the priest. But guess what? Jehoiada wasn't eternal. (laughs) Jehoiada finally died. And then what? Then came the test. Then came the enemy. Uh, This was really a, a turning point, a hinge point in the life of Joash. And guess what? He didn't do well. He failed the test. Um, see, our enemy, Satan, <laughs> the devil, he, he's not stupid and he's not impetuous. He is waiting in the wings for that proper time. He's waiting. He's biding his time for the right moment to attack. And the officials of Judah did not approach Joash while Jehoiada was alive. Why? Because they knew (laughs) the time wasn't right. We can't go to Joash if that crazy priest is still there because he's going to give them godly counsel. We don't want that. He dies, what do they do? Then they put their plan into action. As soon as he was dead, that's when Joash was vulnerable. And what happened? They hit and he fell. And Joash's temptation was a common one. Even in Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 29, Moses, the leader of Israel, warns Israel that after his death, they would act corruptly and turn away from the way which he had commanded them. He knew it was going to happen. In Joshua 24, 31, you read that Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the leaders who survived Joshua, who had known all the deeds which the Lord had done in Israel. But then, what's next? What's the next book? Judges, right? We've just been through Judges. And what did Judges start off? It was a time when everyone in Israel forsook the Lord and did what? What was right in their own eyes. Remember that? See, the time comes for all of us when we can no longer lean, (laughs) uh, we can no longer count on Um, those to uh, support us spiritually. The time comes when we have to be able to stand on our own spiritual legs. You have to develop, you have to maintain your own walk with God. I mean, if if you're just holding on to what's going on here on Sunday, and that's all the spirituality you're getting all week long, that's not going to be enough. And even I would say, even if you come on Wednesday night, that's still not enough. You have to be plowing out with the Word of God, with God, on a daily basis. Studying His Word, praying, asking Him for wisdom. You have to develop and maintain your own walk with God. Your husband can't do that for you. Your wife can't do that for you. Your pastor can't do that for you. And if you don't do that, there'll come a time 
when you will fall when that temptation comes, when Satan plays his hand, as he surely will, to tempt us. And so the story of Joash shows us four dangers here I want to go over with you that's, that Satan often uses to test those who are spiritually privileged. You know, we, we've all been exposed to a lot of spiritual truth in our lives growing up in America and, and having lived in a, a free country and all this, and maybe some from Christian families, whatever. But because we have that spiritual privilege, sometimes Satan uses these, these dangers. And the first one is the danger of spiritual piggybacking. And what I mean by that is, you know what, you grow up in a spiritual atmosphere, and you're, you're prone to what? Ride along on your parents' faith. You don't really own it. You know, mom and dad are a Christian, and you've been, you know, told you're a Christian since the age of one, you know. So, oh, I'm always a Christian, you know. Um, and they're riding on their parents' faith instead of developing their own personal strong walk with the Lord. And that's what happened with Joash. He did fine as long as his spiritual mentor, right, his uncle Jehoiada was around. But the very fact that he fell apart immediately, right away after Jehoiada died, suggesting that he was not owning his own spirituality. He was kind of riding on Jehoiada's coattails. Um, I remember when the grandkids were younger, we'd go to wherever they live, and usually we'd go out for a hike or something, and inevitably, uh, the adults, going back to the house or wherever we're hiking, would be carrying a package. It would be one of the kids, right? Up, up, you know, so you'd have 20 pounds or whatever. Um, and you'd, you'd have to carry them along because they were too young to go that far. Um, and as they grew older, they, they began to understand, well, no, you can walk yourself. I'm not carrying you. You're 75 pounds now. I'm not carrying you, right? And now they're teenagers, so it's like I'm definitely not carrying them. Uh, they're carrying me. You know, that's what should be happening. They should be carrying me. It'd take all three of them to do that. But, but spiritually, it should be the same thing. Should it not? You have to get to a point in your life where you're not constantly just riding on somebody else's spiritual coattails. If you're growing up in a Christian home, it's great. If your parents walk with God, that's, that's wonderful. But what about your walk? What about when mom and dad aren't there? Are you still going to church? Um, do you own your own faith in Christ as your Lord and Savior? If you do, are you... Are you Cultivating that relationship daily with a daily devotion, quiet time with him in the word? Do you meet with him in prayer each and every day? Do you have your own desire to fellowship with God's people and serve him? Or are you just doing it because, well, aren't you going to help in church? Coming from mom and dad or somebody else? See, the older you get, not just physically but spiritually, the more you need to be walking on your own. And that's so true. The second danger is the danger of making the holy commonplace. Think about it. Joash, this young boy, grew up in the temple. Grew up right there with everything going around. It's kinda, it'd be like a, somebody growing up in a pastor's home. You know, they're always at the church. I remember even with my, my grandkids once in a while, the churches we've been in, you know, they, they, would, they would be crawling up under these, these chairs or the pews when we had pews from the back to the front under the pews. Now, that wasn't on a Sunday, but, you know, they were down here with Grandpa, you know, during the middle of the week, and, hey, it's free reign, you know, run around the church, do whatever. And, you know, there's just a, just a, a commonality there, all right? Um, 
And so he grew up in the temple, and when he turned from the Lord, we found here in our story that he even gave the command for the, the godly man, Zechariah, to be stoned to death in the temple itself, which was just a big no-no in their culture. He never would do that. Joash should, he, he should have had at least regarded that place as somewhat sacred, okay, understanding that it was the Lord's temple. Uh, his, his uncle provided that example. Jehoiada wouldn't allow Athaliah to be executed in the Lord's house. But for Joash, at this point, he didn't care. It was just common. It was, hey, I grew up here. It's not a big deal. And sometimes when you grow up surrounded by the things of God, really you're always in danger of treating that which is holy as commonplace. You just don't think of it as a big deal. You become very irreverent or even joke about God or his word or, or the church. You don't have that sense of awe about the Lord. It ought to be a warning light on your spiritual dashboard. You don't want to get to that point. Thirdly, there's the danger of experimenting with sin. You know, some people are raised in Christian families and Christian homes, and they're raised in a very strict and sometimes legalistic even environment. And we aren't told exactly what the officials of Judah said to Joash. We don't know in verses 17 to 18. But I bet you that their message had something to do with his freedom. <laughs> something to do with, hey, now Jehoiada is dead. Let's, you, can, you can relax a little bit, Joash. You know, you've been living under this strict guy's rules and regulations all your life. You've been restricted by him. You've been cooped up in this temple. You've obeyed the old man's rules, but now you're, you know, you're missing out on the excitement of life. Joash, be your own man, for goodness sakes. You should, be, you should be open up to more kinds of worship. It's not just one way. Come on. And the appeal of that idolatry, that you can make a God in your own image, and that's what people do today. They recreate God in their own image according to what they like and how they want to live. Therefore, they don't have to submit to the will of God, the holy God, the true God. And when you share Christ with people, a lot of times you talk about God's wrath, you talk about God's judgment. What will they say? Well, my God's a God of what? Love. My God would never send someone to hell. Well, you have to be bold enough to say, well, I'm sorry, but your God is not the God of the Bible. And so if you've been raised in a godly home, you face that same, really, temptation of, of experimenting with sins that have been off limits. And I think that's kind of what happened to Joash. I used to see this a lot as a youth pastor. Kids getting their teenage years and beyond, and friends start to, you know, hey, you know what, you're missing out on the front, all, missing out on all the fun, you know, you're never drinking any alcohol, you know, come on, let's get a little buzz, you know, try this pot, whatever. And, you know, you're only going to live once, you know, you're young, enjoy yourself. Don't go down that road. Don't listen to that message. It's Satan's lie. Because you can't experiment with sin without it affecting you and those you love. And then the last thing here, the danger of ungratefulness. Joash didn't remember the kindness which Jehoiada had shown him. He didn't remember, but what did he do? He murdered his son, or grandson. Um, how tragic. Um, those who are born with 
spiritual privilege or into spiritual privilege tend to take things for granted. They tend to take things for granted. People who've grown up in a Christian home and just kind of always assume they're a believer, they don't really appreciate what a, it is, what a great uh, blessing it is to know Christ. And when you talk to people who didn't grow up in that kind of environment, maybe came from a violent vi- uh, background and lots of garbage in their background, they come to Christ, what? they're just overjoyed that God would forgive them. And everybody else in the church is looking at them going, oh, they're a little, you know, little too excited there. No. We should all be that excited. We should all appreciate the great blessing that we, we have in Christ. Um, you know, the parents know that they've been maybe saved, but how do you translate that to the children? Uh, it's kind of like a bunch of rich kids who never know really the value of a dollar because they never had to do without anything. Their parents just give them everything. Okay, that wouldn't be good. And so if you, if you come from a Christian home, a Christian upbringing, you need to stop often and, and think about where you would be without the Lord right now. Where would you be? What if you were born into a home of pagan parents who abused you? What if you've been born in a denomination of Islam or, or Buddhism or Hinduism? You would be without hope and without God in this world. And that's why, you know, at communion time, we're called to remember, right, at his table, to remember his kindness, his grace, what's been shown to us through the cross. And so Joash was blessed with spiritual privilege, and so are we. He demonstrated early spiritual zeal, and so should we, and he faced spiritual testing, and so should we. But when he failed, God didn't leave him to go his way without repeated warnings. And this is, this is God's grace. And, and fourthly here, Joash was given repeated occasions to repent, and so are we. See, it's never, ever too late for someone to turn to Christ. It doesn't matter how bad they are, what they've done, it's irrelevant. Until their dying breath, there's that opportunity that's why it's such a glorious thing when you can do a funeral and you may not even know the person, you don't know whatever, but you know what? I always pray this. I, I entrust the soul of this deceased person into the hands of a God who would do justly. That's a true statement. I'm not saying they're in heaven. I'm not saying they're in hell. But I have complete confidence that God will do the right thing with that person. And maybe they lived a horrible life and their last breath, they cried out to Christ for forgiveness. They're saved. There's always hope. In Christ. And in Second Chronicles, verses 19 and 20 here, it says, Yet he set prophets among them to bring them back to the Lord. That's just, that's just God's, God's grace. These testified against them, but look at they would not pay attention. They didn't even pay attention to these guys. It's kind of like the society we live in today. You tell people their sin is taking them to hell, they don't want to hear that. That's the last thing they want to hear. Verse 20 says, Then the Spirit of God closed Zechariah, the son of Jehoiada, the priest, and he stood above the people and said to them, Thus says God, Why do you break the commandments of the Lord so that you cannot prosper? You know, people think that God gives us principles and commandments to restrict us, right? To, to restrain us from all the good things in life. It's, it's just the opposite. 
It's the complete opposite. God gives us principles to live by so that we can prosper as his children. And even when believers choose not to do what God desires them to do, what happens? They don't prosper. Because they've forsaken the Lord, he has forsaken you, it says. God does not leave us in our rebellious state. He doesn't leave us in our sin. He brings repeated opportunities for us to turn back to him time and time again. Ezekiel 33.11 says, God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that the wicked turn from his way and live. So Joash, who was so weak as to give in quickly to the evil officials, proved to be strong and obstinate in his resistance to the Lord. God sent him opportunity and he he resisted it. It's weird how a young person who's raised in a Christian home with godly parents can so easily give in to peer pressure and be so strong later on in life resisting the loving correction of the Lord. You see it time and time again. I mean, just look at some of the movie stars in Hollywood, uh, some of the sports figures. I mean, they're living a complete life of debauchery, but when you talk to them about, oh, yeah, I was raised in the church. Yeah, you know, and, 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 you know, whether how they were raised was right or wrong is irrelevant, but the fact is they were exposed to that truth, and they, it, it drove them away. Um, so God allows U-turns in life, but only for a while. Eventually, his grace does run out. The fifth thing, Joash reaped the consequences of his rebellion against God. And so will we if we do not repent, in verses 23 to 27. Look at the correspondence between Joash's disobedience and the consequences quickly here. It says, Joash forsook God, and what happened? God forsook him to this invading army, in verse 20. Joash cast off God's rule, and what did Joash's servants do? They cast off his rule. They killed him. Joash conspired against Zechariah. Joash's servants conspired against him. Joash murdered a defenseless man, and his servants murdered him as he lay sick and defenseless in bed. Joash did not heed the dignity of Zechariah's office as a prophet, but had him stoned. And Joash's servants did not heed his dignity as a king and had him buried outside of the tombs of the kings. Galatians 6, 7 says, do not, be, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this will he also reap. 2 Peter 2, 20. For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the last state has become worse than the first For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. What the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to his own vomit and the sow after washing herself returns to wallow in the mire. Um, 
You know, how miserable it is for those who enjoy great spiritual privilege, as many of us have, and then turn from God and refuse to repent. They, they, they suffer grave spiritual consequences. You, you don't ever want to be in that situation. Most of the people who have fallen away from the Lord, it doesn't mean they lost their salvation. It just means that they were never there. Um, are people with great spiritual privilege who failed to walk daily with the Lord. Spiritual privilege requires spiritual reality or there will be spiritual consequences. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father, we, we ask the question how, how it is with us. How? Lord, we have been graciously given your spiritual privilege here tonight, even by hearing your word, by reading your word. We have to ask the question, are we walking with you on a daily basis? Or is this just a come to church, punch the ticket kind of thing? Are you allowing his word, his spirit to confront the sin in your heart? Ask yourself that question. He's graciously seeking to bring you back to himself so that you don't end up as a good, quote, Christian who goes bad. Father, we pray for each heart here tonight and thank you for your grace in our lives. And Lord, we do pray that you would renew in our own hearts a desire to not just live for you when we're gathered together here, but Lord, that we would do that at our workplace, at our school, where we live. Father, that we would live boldly for you without excuse. And Father, that you would see we would see you use us in ways that we can't even comprehend. And Father, I pray that you would do that work in our hearts. Even now, we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' precious name. Amen.